0: Welcome to today's Bible study with Pastor Josh Tice. The next time you're in Las Vegas, we'd love to meet you in person at Southern Hills. If you happen to watch us regularly, please like and subscribe to our YouTube channel and consider sharing this video with a friend. You can support the ministries of Southern Hills by visiting southernhillslv.com and clicking the Give tab. Now, sit back, relax and get ready to learn how the Bible is relevant in your life today.
1: Today's sermon is entitled Jesus and the mother-in-law. Jesus and the mother-in-law. My wife said to me as I left this morning, be kind to mother-in-laws. I hope to be one one day. And this is a passage that I believe is very kind to mother-in-laws because it is a passage where Jesus interacts with Peter's mother-in-law and she's very ill, but. Jesus comes in and brings healing to this very ill uh, woman. Let's go ahead and study it, Luke chapter number 4, verses 38 through 44. It says, Now Jesus arose from the synagogue and entered Simon's house. But Simon's wife's mother was sick with a very high fever, and they made request of him concerning her. So let's break it down. What's going on in this passage? Well, a little background. For those of you who were here for part one last week of this five-part sermon series, you understand what's going on. Last week, Jesus found himself teaching in the synagogue of Capernaum. And as Jesus was teaching in this synagogue, a demon-possessed person interrupts the service and Jesus casts the demon out of the man and the man is saved, it's really cool. Jesus picks him to be part of his disciples and they begin to leave after the service and they leave to go get some lunch. By the way, don't you love going to church on Sunday and then afterward going to get some lunch, amen? It's a nice tradition, this is what a lot of us do. Some of you say, it's not lunch for me, pastor, it's brunch, because you get out a little bit early. Well, see, I'm here 8 o'clock for the service, then 10 o'clock for the service, then 11.30, I don't get out of here until 1.30. I'm starving, and most of you people have already eaten up all the food in all the good restaurants. It's a mess. But I can't wait to get to lunch myself. And that's what they were doing. They were leaving the synagogue on Saturday, Jesus and all these people, and Jesus decided that he was going to go with Simon. Now, Simon's name will later be changed to what? Does anybody know what Simon's name later would be changed to? Anybody know? Peter. He's actually one of the most famous disciples. And so the Bible tells us that Simon lived right there in Capernaum. And in one of the other gospels, the gospel of Luke, it says that his house was right near or right beside the synagogue. So Jesus and his disciples leave and they leave out of the synagogue and you cross over the street right to Peter's house. Now, Even to this day, you can actually go to Capernaum and you can see where the synagogue was, where Jesus taught. And there's an archeological dig where you can see where Peter's house must have been. Say, how did they know it was Peter's house? Because there's a church that started in Capernaum in Peter's house. And then they tore down eventually the house and they built a church on that site. And for hundreds of years, there was a church on that site. And you can go see the archeological digs where there's actually Christian symbolism right there in the stones of Peter's ancient house. It's an amazing thing. So, all of this historically took place. When they arrived for lunch, the problem they arrived was, was the mother-in-law did not go to synagogue that day. She was smart, she had a fever, so she stayed home and quarantined. Can I get an amen, right? So that's exactly what she did. She stayed home and quarantined and Jesus showed up and is like, all right, let's eat. And Peter's mother-in-law is sick with a very high fever. And so the Bible says they asked Jesus concerning her. That's a smart idea, right? If Jesus shows up at your house and you're sick, it's a smart idea to ask him to heal you. Can I get an amen, right? I mean, this is, this is the plan. Like if, uh, if Mr. Clean showed up in your house, ask him to mop. Papa John's comes over, you need to make sure he makes a pizza. Colonel Sanders, fry the chicken. If Jesus shows up, the great physician, anybody is sick, ask Jesus to heal you. Now, the beautiful thing, some of you might think, I wish Jesus would come into my life. I wish Jesus would come into my house. But Jesus still makes house calls. He's still willing to come to you. He's still willing to come into your life and bring healing to you. Jesus still can heal people today. Can I get an amen? It's true. You have to believe this. You have to see it in the scripture, verse 39. So Jesus stood over the woman, and he rebuked the fever, and it left her. And immediately... She rose up and started to serve them lunch. How many of you know women like this? <laughs> Speaking of mother laws, my, my wife's mother uh, was a wonderful woman, um, an incredible woman. This is exactly who she was. We go to the home, she was always up, taking care of everybody, serving everybody. If she was sick, she would get well and she'd get back to serving. My mother is this way, Thanksgiving comes around, everybody sits down, ready to pray, let's pray, have some food. She'll come and she'll sit down for the prayer. And as soon as the prayer's over, she's gotta get up and go to the food and serve everybody. Come, Mom, come and sit down. How many of you know somebody like this in your life? This is who this woman was. She would never stop serving. And you're going to see inside of this passage, she's very much like Jesus. Because there's a great parallel between this mother-in-law and Jesus. And in this passage, you'll see Jesus never stops serving other people. Only for a moment, and we're going to talk about that moment a little later on. Immediately, she rose up after being healed and started serving them. And the sun was setting. When the sun was setting, so they spent all afternoon eating and fellowshipping and laughing and having a good time. And when the sun began to set, all those who were sick with various diseases, brought those sick people to Jesus. So the sun is now setting in Capernaum, and all of the people from the village start coming into Peter's house. All the sick people with fevers, all the sick people with disease, all the sick people in one... This was a super spreader situation. You know what I'm talking about? Everybody in one small home. But Jesus was right in the midst, wasn't he? And the Bible says that Jesus began to heal all of the people, every single one. Now, why at nighttime? Why does it say when the sun was setting? Well, if you're reading close in the text, what day of the week was this going on? What day of the week? Yeah, Saturday or the Sabbath, which means for the uh, people of antiquity, they would have celebrated, and they do today, the Jewish community, celebrate Sabbath from Friday night when the sun goes down. Until Saturday night when the sun goes down. The 24 hour period referred to as Shabbat or the Sabbath. And so now it was Saturday evening. They only went out to synagogue in the morning then back to their home to spend time with family. And as the sun went down, it meant that people could go about and do their business. And that's exactly what happened. The sun was going down. And so all of the community heard that Jesus was still in town. And they have a, they've a—they've got an uncle that's not feeling well. And they've got a kid who's sick. And they've got a friend who's got a disease and another friend who's got a leprosy. And so they all start bringing them to Jesus inside of this house. And Jesus starts healing Everybody in this, t- in this moment. And he laid his hands on every one of them and healed them all. Why? Because Jesus has the power to heal people. Now look at verse 41. Demons also were coming out of many, crying and saying, you are the Christ, the Son of God. He was not only physically healing people, he was spiritually healing people as well. And he rebuked these demons, did not allow them to speak, for they knew that he was the Christ. In verse 42, all night long this was going on, apparently. Verse 42, and when it was day, when the sun was starting to rise, he departed and went into a deserted place early the next day. The gospel of Mark, chapter 1, verse 35, tells us that before the sun even crested, Jesus was out the door. I wonder how it went down, I don't know. If they were there into the evening, they were there late into the evening, I suppose. Was it one o'clock or two o'clock in the morning when the last person was there? Maybe it was three o'clock and the line was still there, people needing to talk to Jesus. Maybe between three o'clock and five o'clock, Jesus sat with a few people as they had spiritual questions, people who had just been delivered from demons or delivered from disease. And now Jesus, in the middle of the night, before the sun rose, he's ministering and helping these people. Can you picture it? And now the last person leaves. I can see Jesus opening the door, and everybody else in the home is asleep. The mother-in-law is asleep, and Peter's wife is asleep, and Peter, he always seems to be falling asleep at the wrong time. And Jesus opens the door and he lets the last person out and he waves goodbye. And Jesus looks over to the east and notices the sun is just starting to glow beyond the mountains. And so instead of going inside and going to sleep, he shuts the door and he walks away into the wilderness. Where is he going by himself? Jesus, by himself. Early the next day, the crowd, the Bible says, sought him and came to him and tried to keep him from leaving them. Where was Jesus going all by himself? Why was Jesus leaving all of these people alone? Why was he going? Later on in the sermon, I'll tell you why. And I'll tell you how you can be involved with that too. But the Bible tells us the next morning, everybody in the town started waking up. They start looking around, and they're like, hey, man, that was amazing with Jesus. You think he's still in town? I don't know. Let's go find him. So they all get out of their houses. They start walking around. They go to Peter's house. They knock on Peter's house. Peter walks up. He's like, what's going on? Is Jesus still here? I think he's gone. Where is he? And the entire town develops this posse, and they go out searching for Jesus. Jesus, the whole time, is trying to get away from everybody. Picture this moment. This is a weird picture. Some of you don't think of it this way. This is what the text appears to be saying. Jesus is out by himself, alone by himself with his father, and all of a sudden the town people show up. And instead of Jesus being like, what's up, and spending time with them, look at what he does. The Bible says, and the crowd sought him and came to him and tried to keep him from leaving them. And Jesus said to them, I got to go. I have to leave you. I must preach the kingdom of God to other cities also, because for this purpose have I been sent." He had to keep going, why? Because he was absolutely convinced of God's mission in his life, and his mission was to go village to village, preaching and healing every single person. He could not just get stuck in Capernaum. And so, he was preaching in the synagogues of Galilee. That's the passage. So what can we learn from it today? If you're ready for some practical truth that you can apply to your life, give me an amen. Amen. What can we learn from this passage? Well, I'll tell you what we can learn. Jesus entered a town, and the town was never the same. Because they had an interaction with Jesus, the great physician. Jesus, the great physician. Say it with me. Jesus, the great physician. Say it again. Jesus, the great physician. I know some of you are grown up in church, and so you've heard that concept before, but some of you are new to Jesus. Grab a hold of this truth. The Bible tells us Jesus is not just the Savior, and Jesus is not just the the God of heaven, and Jesus is not just your friend. He is a great physician, meaning he is the only and great physician who can heal anyone anytime he wants to through a miraculous uh, uh, opportunity of healing. This is what we see, and this specific town of Capernaum would never be the same. What can we learn from this town's interaction with the great physician? That's the question of the hour. Three prescriptions from the great physician. That's today's sermon three prescriptions from the great physician. Today, we're gonna give a prescription for your physical health. Number two, we're gonna give a prescription for your emotional health. And number three, we're gonna give a prescription for your spiritual health. All of them, I believe, found in this passage. Number one, physical health is available through prayer. Will you say this one with me together? Physical health is available through prayer. Say it with me again. Physical health is available through prayer. Pastor Josh, why why are you talking about physical healing in the middle of this passage? Well, it's the same reason I talked about demons and demonology last week. Even though we're in a five-week sermon series entitled Dark Horses, It's talking about Jesus picking his disciples. We also are in a long journey through the gospel of Luke as we study verse by verse through this entire book of the Bible. And last week, I told you, Jesus interacts with a demon-possessed person, and Jesus is going to keep interacting with a lot of demon-possessed people. And so last week, I had to lay a groundwork of theology as it relates to demons. We called it demonology, and we studied that last week, so that every time Jesus interacts with a demon-possessed person, you have the groundwork necessary to understand what Jesus is doing. Today, the same thing. We're going to have a groundwork for the first part of this sermon of the theology of healing and how God heals people. And so every time Jesus interacts with people to heal them throughout the rest of our journey through Luke, you'll be able to have the groundwork to understand God's healing ability as we walk through the passage. So let's talk about physical healing, and how God answers. Anybody here? Any, anyone in the room today who has ever, at least once, prayed for somebody to be healed? Anybody here ever prayed? Raise your hand if you've ever prayed for somebody to be healed. Okay, most of us. Put your hands down. Not all of us. I understand not all of us are believers in the room. And if you're not a believer, we're really glad you're here. We welcome you into our church. We hope that you become a believer in Jesus Christ. But believers will pray to God and ask for the things they need. Once again, let me see. How many of you ever prayed for God to heal somebody? Or maybe for God to heal you? Would you raise your hand? How many of you? Okay, put your hands down. Don't raise your hand now. Don't raise your hand. You ready for a second question? How many of you have seen God answer that prayer in the affirmative? I said, don't raise your hand. Don't raise your hand. We don't want to embarrass the others, you know, like me. I know. When I pray for God to heal people, sometimes they are healed, and sometimes they're not. Now, I know what some of you are thinking. Some of you are like, if you were a better pastor, every time you prayed for anything, it would come true. (laughs) Maybe. In fact, there are other preachers or pastors or theologians who might say, Josh, it's because you don't have enough faith. Like, if you had more faith, you know what I mean? Like, if I had more faith, I could work up more faith. If I really believed more, you know what I mean? Maybe I get more emotional, you know? Maybe if if I just emotionally said it and I quivered my voice. I could heal people better. But in reality, we understand there's no man or woman who can heal anybody other than Jesus Christ. And in my decades of following Jesus and in my two decades of pastoring, there have been many times I've prayed for people to be healed and they've been healed. And there have been many times I've prayed for people to, to be healed and they were not healed. And so what I found in scripture, the theology really comforts me There are three answers that are given when we ask Jesus to heal somebody physically. Do you wanna know what those three answers are? Here they are, number one, the first answer that is often given is yes, I'll heal them, I'm the great physician. Yes, I'll heal them, I'm the great physician. Happens all the time. If you're a Christian, listen, a lot of times you pray, Jesus heal them, he'll say yes, I will heal them, I'm the great physician. We saw it just recently. We see it all the time, but we saw it just recently. I I got a text from my, my buddy, my partner, my pal, Jason Combs, uh, he's one of the pastors here, one of the worship leaders, and, and he, uh, he texted me, he said, hey, pastor. Early in the morning, before I got to the church, he said, hey, pastor, somebody's at church. Uh, guy's at church and he wants to talk to you. And I misread it. I thought it said a guy is at church and wants to talk to you, but it's actually guy is at church. The guy's name's Guy. <laughs> Which is really convenient when you forget his name, you know what I mean? <laughs> You're like, what up, Guy. I want a a friend named Champ, you know what I mean? What up, what up Champ, you know? This is great. So I show up to church, and there's Guy, right? There's this guy, his name's Guy, and he's standing out in front of the church. He wasn't inside the church. Normally when people want to meet me at church, they want to meet me in the church. This guy, 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 how many of you know this guy? How many of you know this guy? You know this guy? His name's Guy. So I show up at this guy's, his name is Guy. I show up, and there's this guy, he's standing out front. And he's just standing there like this, he's kind of pacing. He's got papers in his hand like this, He's kind of ruffling the papers like this, and he sees me and I'm like, hey, and he's like, hey, pastor, and I'm like, yeah, big smile on his face. I'm like, what up, guy? And he's like, what's up, pastor? He came over, he hugged me, and then he gave me these papers. He said, look at these. I look at these papers. People do this all the time to me. They'll show me stuff, and I, no context. <laughs> I'm like, what the heck am I looking at, you know? What is going on? I'm looking at these papers. And, and, and it's medical something, and it's this and that. Now, I know, because a lot of people have been praying for Guy, Guy has cancer. And it's been really bad recently because Guy's cancer has um, it entered into his bones. And I'm not a doctor. I'm not a physician. I'm not a nurse. But I will tell you this. I've been around long enough to know that when the cancer enters the bones, we got problems. We, we start making other plans. And he shows me this, and I'm reading, and I'm like, whoa, whoa, whoa. And I thought I misread, I said, cancer free. Yeah. And I, I read a little bit more and I'm reading. I say, guy, is this telling me what I think it's telling me? He smiled broadly. He said, pastor, I told you. By the way, he did. It was, he really made his small group really awkward and weird because like two weeks before, he said, I'm going to go in for a final test. I want you all to know I'm declaring it now. Absolutely, my cancer is going to be gone. That's what he said. He said, I've been praying. I believe that God answered. God, my cancer is going to be gone. The whole small group is like, yeah. <laughs> you know what I mean? You know, you know, some, I'm sorry. Some of you are new as Christians. You're like, this church, you know, it's a little sacrilegious. But that's the way I feel sometimes. You know, i am be like, okay, okay, yeah, that's going to happen. Maybe, probably, I don't know. And I'm, I'm looking at God and he's like, I told you, just Confident. I said, Guy, we gotta go tell the other pastors. I was going into a pastor's meeting. and grabbed Guy. We walked in here. All the pastors were there. And a bunch of the guys know Guy. You know, a bunch of the, everybody's like, Guy, you know. And uh, we, we sat there. And he, he opened up the papers, read what the papers, and I'm telling you, we just began to pray and lift our hands before God and celebrate Jesus and say, Jesus, you're the one who healed Guy you, nobody else could heal guy, you're the one who healed guy. And to this day, I believe absolutely that Jesus heals people. You know, it's really funny because even to this day, there are Christians, some of you though, you'll, you'll have a miracle in your life and you'll try to come tell me, even me as your pastor, and you kind of feel awkward to tell me, you know? I, I love this moment. You're like, hey pastor, I'm gonna tell you something, that's gonna be hard to believe. <laughs> I gotta tell you, and you're like, you're like, couching it in terms that, like you're talking to a coworker, you know what I mean? I'm a believer, you get it? Like it's, you can tell me I believe, right? And miracles happen to this day. I believe that the answer, when you pray to Jesus, will you heal me? The answer so often is yes, I'm the great physician. Here's the second answer. Yes, but not in the way you expect. Yes, I will heal you, but not in the way you think. My friend, Ken Savage, I think about him often when I go to Men's Retreat, Chike, because I'll go, to, I'll go to Men's Retreat, and uh, my early years as a pastor, I, w- I, would, I would bring a group of guys there. Ken was one of them. He's one of my dear friends. He's a great man. Nice, nice godly man who really helped the church. Greg, you were friends with, with you know? and he would sit here for years, sat here in the old building and then sat here for the first couple years of this building. Ken was diagnosed probably about five or six years ago with pulmonary fibrosis, and I watched him struggle with it, breathing, became labor-intensive, pain, but he was the kind of guy, you know those guys? He's the kind of guy that was so strong that he would not show his pain. You just see it every now and then, hey man, you doing doing okay? Fine. You know what I'm talking about? We prayed over Ken, man. We did. We gathered the elders of the church. All the small groups were praying. God, heal Ken. God, heal Ken. God, you gotta heal Ken. You have the power to heal Ken. We believe you'll heal Ken. God, we declare you'll heal Ken. God, heal Ken. And then Ken died. And what's... What's really hard for me in those moments, I'm the pastor. So I'm supposed to be like, you know, full of faith and I don't doubt nothing. And, you know, you got a problem, lean on me because I'm super strong. And I've seen God allow people to die before, but never my friend like that. And I was really discouraged. Armand, I was. I, I sat here. We did the funeral. Everybody's here. Everybody's kind of... Loving Ken's memory, thinking about Ken's memory, focusing on positive things. But there are a lot of Christians like me who are like, I thought we prayed. I thought we prayed that God was going to heal Ken, and then he was going to be healed, and then he could turn 85, and then he could be, we'll pray when he gets sick again, then he'll be 95, and then we'll pray again, he'll be 140, and then Ken will never die because we'll just keep praying. Because that's reasonable. So all these conflicting thoughts in my mind, and I'm sitting here, and I'm supposed to get up and preach and talk about God's faithfulness and Ken is in heaven. I know Ken's in heaven. I believe that part, but God faithful, kind of wonder. Because I prayed, and the other time I prayed it worked, and the other time I prayed it worked, and now it didn't work, and there are a few times in my life where I feel very strongly that God spoke to me. This was one of those times. As I sat there questioning God, God whispered deep in my heart and said, do you really think he's having a hard time breathing right now? Do you think he's in pain right now? Is he in pain right now? No. So did I heal him, yes or no? So I realized that Jesus does answer yes, just yes, not in the way you think. Because sometimes, when he decides, because he's the sovereign, I am not, sometimes what he'll choose to do is he'll choose to trade in your broken down, old, worthless body, and give you an eternal one that will never die, never get hungry, never thirst, and never get ill. And that answer was not a no, that answer was a yes, just not in the way you think. I praise God for that yes. So when we pray, three things could happen. Number one, he could say, yes, I'm the great physician. Yes, but not in the way you think. And then the third answer that I see quite often, and that is, not yet. I've got something better for you. Jesus, I need you to heal me from this physical problem. Not yet. One day I will eternally heal you, or one day I will physically heal you. But not yet, because I got something better. This was Paul's situation, right? Because the apostle Paul was a preacher of the gospel, and he prayed for himself to be healed. He had a physical ailment, something physically wrong with him. Something went wrong in his body. We don't know what it was. Theologians think when he got stoned to death at one point, and he was raised to life, that he had a physical ailment from that, maybe some kind of a crippling situation that made him walk bow-legged. That's what historians tell us. Maybe he prayed, God, you gotta help me walk better because I gotta walk all the way from Corinth all the way up to Athens and I'm exhausted. got and God said, no, I won't heal you. And then he prayed a second time, God, you gotta heal me. And he said, no, I won't heal you. And God, I, I'm asking you a third time, will you heal me? He says, no, I will not heal you yet because I got something better for you. He writes about this, the apostle does. He said, three times I prayed for God to heal me and God said, my grace is enough for you. My strength is actually made perfect in your weakness. For when you are weak, there I am strong. His point to the Apostle Paul, and Paul's point to each and every one of us is this, is that though Paul was physically weak, it was his physical weakness that allowed him to be spiritually strong. And if God healed his physical weakness, he would not be as spiritually strong. And so what God's point was for the Apostle Paul might be what God's point is for you. He might say, I will heal you, I promise. It'll be an eternal healing or it'll be a physical healing, but not yet, because I got something better for you. I want you to be spiritually strong and physically weak. And so we believe that God heals. And these are the three ways in which he responds to us. But I want you to see even further as we walk through the passage that this woman was healed when she was asking Christ to heal her but I want you also to notice that somebody else in the story needs restorative health. Who's that other person? You'll never guess. The mother-in-law needed restorative health. There's one other person in the story that needs restorative health. Anybody guess? Jesus. (gasps) Pastor, two weeks in a row, blasphemy, two weeks in a row. Jesus, in this moment, needs restorative health. Jesus never needed healing. What are you talking about? You got this weird view of Jesus. You know, if Jesus uh, was in the carpentry shop as a young man making something and something sliced his hand, guess what happened? He wasn't a superhero where just like healed up and he's like, watch this. You know, that's not how, he had to wrap it and bandage it and it took weeks for his body to heal. Do you know why? Because he had a physical body like you and I. Did you realize that? As a little boy, he would fall down, skin his knee, and it took a long time to come back. This this is Jesus, and in this moment, we're going to see that Jesus isn't physically ill, but he's emotionally spent. So that leads us to point number two. Emotional health is found in solitude. Emotional recovery is necessary when you spend your day pouring yourself out to help others. Some of us in the room today are not physically ill, but you are emotionally shot. And it's because of the life you live helping others. You're in the medical industry, so you're constantly pouring out yourself to others. You're in the service industry, so you're constantly pouring yourself out to help others. You could even be a barista, and you're all about making the right coffee, but what you're actually doing there is making people feel comfortable, and so you're pouring yourself out to help others constantly. You're like me. Maybe you're a teacher, and you spend your week teaching others, and you're spending your time pouring yourself out, and when you pour yourself out to others, you become emotionally and spiritually drained. All throughout Jesus's ministry, this happened multiple times. One time he was walking through a big great crowd and and somebody grabbed a hold of Jesus's bottom of his cloak and when they, they touched his cloak, the Bible says they were healed and Jesus stopped and said, who touched me? His disciples are like, you're in a crowd. What do you mean who touched you? He said, no, no, somebody permanently, physically, purposefully touched me and virtue has departed from me. What is he saying? Spiritual and emotional energy went away. Why? Because he healed this person. When you and I, listen, when you and I spend time helping others, you're pouring yourself out to them. The problem is not pouring yourself out to others. The problem is never spending time getting filled up again. So what did Jesus do in the story? According to Luke chapter number 4, verse 42, after Jesus spent the entire day ministering to others, Jesus, instead of going and taking a nap, he went out by himself alone to pray. Now, when it was day, he departed and went into a deserted place. Solitude, friend. Listen to me. Solitude. Solitude. It's necessary for your cycle. Luke chapter 5, next chapter, you're gonna learn this. But Jesus went often out when withdrew himself to the wilderness to, to pray. This was not a one-time event for Jesus. His disciples noticed oftentimes they'd turn around and be like, where's Jesus? And there he is, lonely guy walking out into the wilderness by himself. Jesus, wait up! Jesus would be like, no, don't talk to me. I need some me time. And all every time his me time included his father time, and he spent time with God. Mark chapter 1, verse 35 says, having risen a long while before the daylight, Jesus went out to a departed into a solitary place, and there he prayed. I am, the longer I pastor, I am convinced the reason, the, the reason why many men act the way they do is because they don't take time to unplug and spend time alone. Look at me, my brother, my friend, look at me. You need it, and it's not wrong for you to take it. And when you do get alone, you don't unplug. And so instead of building strength emotionally, you're still pouring it into a device or something like this. Unplug, spend time alone. Emotional health is found in solitude. How did Jesus find the strength and the energy to keep serving his community day after day after day after day? He spent time alone with his father. I love men's retreat. We just came back from men's retreat. And I'll, I see it every single year. It's super cool. Uh, we'll do, there's these, you know, we go paint, paintballing, and they go to the rifle range, or they go shotgun range. They do Jeep tours. We got these lessons. All this stuff is going on. But every single time without fail, I always notice it. And we never announce to do it. I'll notice some solitary dude by himself. He'll have his Bible, and he'll just start walking out in the desert. I'll be like, there goes another one. <laughs> they do this. I watch it. Every, this happened for years. They'll start walking away. I'll be like, have fun. I know what he's doing the holy spirit of god is drawing that person out and way more than anything will happen whenever i preach the next session or whenever we play a game you know what really happens to those men's retreats is men finally get quiet time alone with their thoughts and alone with god and it changes their life I'm telling you you need that sir let me talk to my sisters It is not selfish for you to take time in solitude. You spend your life serving everybody else and you're pouring out, you're pouring out, you're pouring out. My question to you, my sister, is when do you get poured into? When do you just spend time, like Mary at the feet of Jesus, just spending time getting filled up? It's not wrong. It's right. Maybe you're so emotionally spent because you've not been filled up. You say, but I have, I want to talk to my my mothers of preschoolers here. You have my heart. I love you. My wife and I pray for you. Oh, dear God, help you. And you're like, I'll I'll get some time alone with Jesus in four or five years, you know. Because they're always there, aren't they? They're always there. They're just always, always there. And you love them always there. And you feel guilt. You feel a sense of guilt. I don't know where you get the guilt from. It's not from God, I'll tell you that. But you get this guilt that if they're not always there taking up your space, that you're a bad mother. You're not a bad mother. Here's what you do. Let me practical. Here's what you do. You take that baby. Oh, by the way, some of you grandmothers in the room, you need to stop listening for the next two minutes because you're going to get really angry with me, okay? (laughs) All right. So just chill. You'll be fine. Okay. All right. If you want, I'll sign you up for babysitting, but other than that, then just, all right. You take that baby, you take them to the crib, you put them in the crib. Now if they're a toddler and they crawl out, you get a cage, put it on top, (laughs) (gasps) pastor. You lock the cage. (laughs) I could just hear my church attorney right now, tell them you're joking, I'm joking. You lock the cage, you walk out of the room, you lock the door, you put a mattress in front of the door so you don't hear them cry, because they're going to cry, they need me, yeah, they need me, they're going to survive, and they'll have snot on their face, and they'll not remember it at all. It's really great, it's really great. My kids have no clue what happened to them for the first few years, just... And just leave them and go to your, your room or go outside and spend some alone time. And don't feel guilty. Do you know why? Because I need you to be a mother when, you're, when they're 16, not just when they're six months. I don't need you to burn out. Motherhood is a, is a marathon, not a sprint. Take time for you. Take time for you. Take time for you. And when you do, make sure that you're spending that time with God. Now, uh, how many of you introverts in the room? Any introverts in the room? How many of you an introvert? Raise your hand if you're an introvert. Yeah, some of you are so introverted, you're like, I will not raise my hand, because <laughs> I love my introverts, I love you, man. Some of you are like, this is my point, pastor. I've been waiting for this sermon my whole life. You're talking about spending alone time. I could be alone from this moment until Jesus comes. I found out today that it's godly to be alone. Man, my pastor's the best, he just validated my selfishness, this is good. (laughs) This is what I was waiting for. (laughs) All right, now hear me, hear me out, hear me out. There is a big difference between isolation and solitude. And some of us, if we're not careful, some of us will pander to our flesh and give in to our selfishness and we will call our isolationism solitude, but it's not solitude, it's just you're being a selfish isolationist. You block off any real relationship, you make sure nobody really gets to know you, you back in, you come to church kinda, make sure you get a little late so you sit in the bed, nobody talk to me, no small group, no friends at work, go home, Netflix is your friend, and you're comfortable with this. Solitude is extremely healthy isolation is destructive you being permanently isolated jesus did not go if jesus did not go away and spend permanent time alone with god forever he went to spend solitary alone time with god so that he could go back and help others you say how do i know the difference between solitude and isolation very simple solitude is occasional isolation is perpetual Solitude is, occasionally, I take time alone. Uh, isolation is, I'm, my, my life pattern is I'm just always alone. It's very unhealthy, one is destructive, the other, restorative. For many, and let me finalize the last point so we can close. For many, their main problem is a lack of emotional health. What they need is solitude. For others, their main problem is spiritual health. And for you, spiritual health is maintained in ministry. There is a cycle that I need you to learn to maintain spiritual and emotional health. Jesus knew it. He's our pattern for this. He's our example for this. In the passage, we learn that Jesus was pouring himself out in ministry. And this is the cycle you see throughout chapter 4. Jesus is preaching in the synagogue. Then there's an exorcism. Then he does healing. And then he heals all night. And then there were more exorcisms. Then he rises in the middle of the night to go for devotions. And then he had a minor protest. People from the town, Jesus can't leave Capernaum. Jesus can't leave Capernaum. And then he travels to another place and then he keeps preaching and he's pouring himself out and he's pouring himself out and he's pouring himself. Great amounts of energy. Let me say it here for you. Here, friend. Listen now. Nothing great will ever be accomplished in your life without expending great amounts of energy, period. If you're going to accomplish anything worth accomplishing, it's going to take lots of energy. You have to expend energy to accomplish something. If you love being lazy, you'll never accomplish anything. Proverbs chapter 40, verse Josh. (laughs) If you love being lazy, you'll never accomplish anything. This is what we see. And so Jesus is pouring himself out, pouring himself out, pouring himself out. I want to speak to my fellow ministers as I close. Ministry. What we do, what you do, is physically exhausting, mentally draining, emotionally draining, spiritually exhausting. So what you've got to do is you've got to learn the cycle. Say, what cycle, Pastor? You've got to learn the cycle that Jesus demonstrates for us. And that is filling up and pouring out. If Christ has filled you, How many of you have been filled by the power of God? If you've been filled by the power of God, can I get an amen? How many have been saved? If you've been saved, say amen. amen. Part of the cycle of life is pouring out what Christ has filled you with. It's serving God by serving others. It's following the example of Jesus Christ saying, yes, it may be more comfortable to live in solitude, but there are a lot of people in need. For some of us, we're over here, and we love serving people. The problem is you get to cup number four, and there's nothing left. And you get frustrated with yourself. Like, what's going on? Is there something wrong with me? Maybe God doesn't work anymore. Maybe there's something wrong with my life. Maybe there's something wrong with my kids. Maybe there's something wrong with me. The problem is you need to fill up. You're spent. And so what you need to do is just go back to the source. And and you'll hear people, you're selfish, where are you going? Come back, stay in Capernaum. Nope. I need to fill up. Because if I don't fill up, I'm never going to get back to the table. You got to do it now. I'm demanding that you come back to me. Come back to me now. No. I got to fill up. now. Contrary-wise, there are some of us who are so comfortable over here with Jesus getting filled up, that's all you ever do. You're like, man, this feels good. I love this. Some of you are so uncomfortable right now, you're worried about the carpet, aren't you? There's a disaster coming if all you ever do is spend time over here filling up. Christian, listen to me, I know some of you Marys, I love you, some of you Marys though, you're like, I just love spending time over here getting filled up by Jesus. The problem you have is a spiritual problem, not an emotional problem. You have so filled up, you're not willing to go over and fill up the empty cups. You are unhealthy, you're not balanced. There's a responsibility of following the cycle and the cycle includes filling up and pouring out, filling up and pouring out. You know, some of the, one of the problems with a lot of Christians today, it's not that they don't know Jesus, it's that they spend all their time perpetually with Jesus, not with the flock, feeding the flock. You say, but I'd rather be with Jesus. So would I, guess what? There's a place called heaven one day where you're gonna go and spend all of eternity with him. But you're not allowed to go there till you're dead. <laughs> Until then, you're on assignment, which means what you must do is you must take your picture and go serve the people. Spiritual health is maintained when you have a proper ministry cycle in your life. Where are you at right now? Where are you at? Physically, you need physical healing? Come to Jesus. He'll give you one of three answers, and you can be at peace with all three. Do you need Emotional healing, maybe you've been serving too much, you just need to come over and spend some time with Jesus while everybody yells, come back! Or maybe you've been spending all your time with Jesus and you've just become stagnant, like a pond, constantly filled with water, but there's no outlet. And so you've begun to stink to yourself and to everybody else around you. So what you need to do is dig a trench of ministry and start allowing yourself to serve God by serving others. These are the three aspects of health discussed in Luke chapter 4. Which one does God want you to go home with? Let's pray. Father in heaven, thank you for the word. Physical health, emotional health, spiritual health. I pray that we would see it, live it, and obey it. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Thank you for
0: watching Josh Tice's most recent Bible sermon. If you think of someone who may enjoy this one, go ahead and send it or post it today. If you're ever in Las Vegas on Sunday, we'd love for you to stop by Southern Hills and see us in person. If you benefit from this virtual ministry, we'd also like to encourage you to support our gospel efforts by sending a donation to the ministries of Southern Hills. You can do so by visiting Southern Hills lv.com and clicking the Give tab.